Hello and welcome to the Spooky Shelf Podcast. I am your host, Joe Ducaro. In this podcast, we explore the horror movies which make up my guest's perfect DVD shelf. With all the streaming services available to us, I wanted to give my guests the opportunity to curate their ultimate horror DVD shelf with 13 titles which stand out to them as the best the genre has to offer. Today, we're putting up the spooky shelf of Kevin Lyons, curator of the Encyclopedia of Fantastic Film and Television. I first became aware of Kevin through Evolution of Horror, and he's forgotten more about horror movies than I could possibly know. His site, EOFFTV.com, at time of recording, has 37,467 pages on genre films and TV shows from around the world. And here's the incredible thing. Kevin has written every single one of them. I was really excited to chat to Kevin, and his shelf does not disappoint. Remember to subscribe to the Spooky Shelf podcast so you can keep up to date with more guests from the online horror community. We've, as ever, got incredible guests coming up, particularly next week. You really, really want to keep listening. So, let's go and put up a Spooky Shelf with Kevin Lyons. How are you doing, Kevin? Hi, Joe. Thank you very much for asking me along. No, of course, it's my absolute pleasure. Yeah, so I, I, I became familiar with you, Kevin, when I heard you on um, Evolution of Horror, as we were just explaining in the uh, the sort of the pre-recording preamble. Yeah, and I, I said to you just now that I, I'll be uh, I'll be proud of myself if I've seen three to four of the films that you're go- that I suspect you're going to pick for your spooky shit. Well, I was quite surprised when I started going through them, and I was thinking that's an obvious one. That's an obvious one, and of course they're obvious ones because. It's the obvious ones that are good. I mean, the obscure ones. I'm not one of those people who will go and try and find the most obscure thing possible to impress everybody. We, we all know <laughs> what the classics are. So, you know, you're going to get a few classics, maybe one or two curveballs along the way. Let's start then with the first disc I'm going to ask you for. What was the very first horror film, Kev, you ever saw? Well, we're going back into the mists of time here, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> a running theme throughout this will be the fact that I'm really quite old. I'm close to 61 now, and I've been watching horror films for a very long time. So an awful lot of these memories are going to be slightly fuzzy. You know, they're going to be slightly, I'm not quite sure. But I think the first one I saw all the way through, not just snippets, not just bits before my parents packed me off to bed, was the thing from another world, which is science fiction, but it's also bloody scary. I've I've actually not seen the 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 thing from another world. Is this the the film that John Carpenter's remake is based on? That's well, they're sort of based on a, um, a short story. Who goes there? Who but goes they're, there, they're based yeah. on the same short story. Okay. Uh, very very different approaches. Um, you know, we all know John Carpenter's film is you know groundbreaking for all its incredible effect work. Whereas mm. the uh, the 1950s version, the the alien is described at one point as an intellectual carrot. He's a sort of plants man from outer space. But it is very scary. It's a wonderful moment where it's, it's lurking behind a door. The characters are talking about how they're going to kill it. And they right, let's go. They open the door. And he's just standing there waiting for them. He's like, ah, <laughs> it's really scary. So, um, so I, I will maintain that it's a bit of both. And there is a lot of crossover, I think, you know, between science fiction and horror. Science mm. fiction, I, I often find very, very scary indeed. More, more for these implications than you know a visceral That's, response yeah so, science fiction it's it's the stories of ideas isn't it and yeah. ideas can be yeah. absolutely terrifying 100 oh, percent. of course um, yeah. yeah i mean I, I do subscribe to the the school of thought that you can argue anything as a horror film uh, uh, 
absolutely 100%. I was having this conversation with my wife yesterday, and she was trying to make the case that Jaws isn't a horror film. And I was like, watch that opening sequence, and you tell me yeah. that's not from a director who not knows exactly how to make a horror film. I have had this argument with people since 1975, probably. It is a horror film. I mean, look, for God's sake, like you say, the opening sequence and that bit with the head. I mean, Entirely. if that's not a horror film, I don't know what is. Of course, Absolutely. Jaws is a horror film. Absolutely. So you tell it from me. It's a horror film. No oh, argument. I'll go and <laughs> Lise, Kevin Lies says it's a horror film. So, you know, he's the authority. Okay, so we're going for um, a, a lovely DVD of The Thing from Another World. We're going to move on to your, to your second disc. And uh, I, I really enjoy asking this question. Which film scared you the most? It's a very obvious answer. It's it's almost shockingly obvious. It's The Exorcist. It frightened the life out of me. I one of the very few pleasures of being old and knackered and broken down. And you can stop me at any point when I say things like that. Okay, you know, just no, Kev. Of course. <laughs> okay, anyway, I thought it was taken great... as red. I do apologise that I've not been vocal <laughs> enough. I'm like, no, you're still yeah, young and hip and relevant, Kev. <laughs> yeah, it's too late now, Joe. Far too late. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, but one of the great joys of a few great joys of being old is that I saw a lot of these films the first time round in the cinema. I didn't see The Exorcist in 1974. I was 12. There was absolutely no chance I was going to mm. get into that. But back in the late 70s and even into the early 80s, films were in almost constant rotation. Films would turn up again and again, all sorts of permutations of double bills, and they'd just show up for no reason. Mm. Um, the Exorcist was reissued, I guess, sort of 77, 78, around the time of Halloween, Dawn of the Dead, where we got that big explosion of new horror coming through. Yeah. And I saw it at the cinema, and, yeah, it was genuinely terrifying. On a level that I didn't really understand, I'm not a religious person, so I, it wasn't a kind of... I wasn't having some sort of weird religious experience with it. I just found the whole thing so unsettling, and still mm. do. I think it's a combination of many things, like the sound design, the um, just that the idea that the whole thing revolves around a young girl that's been possessed by something that really doesn't care about her at all. The, mm. You know, Pazuzu, whatever it is, isn't really interested in Reagan. He's interested in Karras. And That's he's just it, using yeah. this little girl. It's just, you know, using her, possessing her body and sort of making her say and do the most appalling things just because it wants to get at Karras. And I just found that whole that whole scenario incredibly unsettling. And still, like I say, I still do. Even now when I watch it, it still frightens me. It's it, it's a funny one when it, it comes up because, it, you know, it, obviously, understandably, this being mm-hmm. a, a horror podcast about people's favourites and, and the most impactful things. Obviously, The Exorcist, I think, it's mentioned in most conversations I have. Yeah. I wonder if, the as you were talking about the, the circulation of films and the fact that, you know, reels of film would literally tour the country almost. I yeah. wonder if that added to the the mystery of going of just its ethereal nature like it comes it scares the crap out of everyone and then it's just gone again you know they had a weird sort of patina to them back then the films even before they started doing the rounds even before they started you know some of the prints i saw back in the day i mean when i was first getting into watching these films on my own i was living on the isle of Wight, and i think we were right at the end of the chain to be honest uh, of film distribution 
And some of the prints I saw looked like, you know, the projectionist had taken them out to the car park and given them a good kicking before he <laughs> ran them through the projector. They were terrible. But there was something about that. There was something, mm. you know, those weird splices and the scratches that would suddenly appear. And even The Exorcist, I remember it looking not quite as pristine as it now does. You know, I, I watch the Blu-ray of it now and a gobsmacked that we ever put up with these shoddy prints back in the day. <laughs> but, yeah, this, the, the copy we saw must have been lying around in a, a warehouse somewhere for a while and mm. it just added to it there was just this kind of weird creepiness that was added to it by the by the sort of degrading texture of the of the celluloid that, that's something that mike munzer actually mentioned we were talking about um the shining uh, and he said mm. it was it's almost as if they captured something within the celluloid and i think it's a hundred percent you can say that of the exorcist as well oh definitely was there what? Which was it? A particular scene that got you? Was it just like you said, the overall sense of dread, or was there a moment where you realised, oh, that's something in my brain chemistry has changed now? There was, and it's not the scenes people might expect. You know, we all know about the swearing or the stabbing herself, and you know, all the horrible nastiness that was going on. The bit when I started to get quite upset I and mean, be quite kind of emotional about it was when she went to the hospital and mm. she was being put on all the machines and it was like she was being tortured there was kind of this feeling that you know that we'd, we've come so far with science and medication and all the rest of it but what they were doing to her wasn't that much different to what they used to do to witches back in the day she was like mm. she was being tortured to drive the evil out of her and for some reason that that one moment really stuck in my mind really freaked me out when I got to that point and after that I was just a bit of a, a blubbering mess after that to be honest and then of course <laughs> we get to the end and you get all the levitation and the vomiting and all the rest of it and I was like I'd never seen anything quite like this before so I was um, yeah I was a little shaky on the way out thank god I saw it at a matinee screening and come out into the daylight <laughs> very scary moments yeah I think you're absolutely right and I, I really like your uh, your observation that it's similar to what you know, people who were accused of being witches went through mm. as well, because I mean, one hundred percent of those people were innocent as well. So absolutely, it's, it's absolutely, they were. <laughs> of course, they were innocent. And you know, it's like, yeah, this is this is the way history has always treated women who've been a bit different. Mm. You know, absolutely. and in the Exorcist, they kind of literalise that by literally having her possessed. But it, you know, you can see where they were coming from. You can see where the ideas were coming from. I think. Mm. It's that's a it, yeah. It's a perspective I'd not actually considered. So yeah, I'm I'm very very happy with your answer there, Kevin. That's fantastic. Okay, cool. so your second cool. disc is The Exorcist. That's going on the shelf. Your Lovely. third pick for me then, Kev. What's your favourite slasher? Again, I'm going to be so incredibly obvious with this one. There are no surprises. It's Halloween. It's got to be Halloween, hasn't it? Because it is, you know... Okay, there were earlier films, there were earlier great films like Black Christmas, uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is one of my absolute favourite films. Yeah. But Halloween, it just all came together. It was perfect. There, There isn't anything wrong, as far as I can see, with Halloween. Everything works in it. The scares are brilliant. The atmosphere is extraordinary throughout. I mean, people sort of underplay, I think, the fact that it's a very atmospheric film. Mm. I've said in podcasts and various other places before that the, the scariest moment in the film, and therefore one of the scariest moments in 70s cinema, is one of the quieter moments. It's when the girls are talking on the phone and you realise that Michael is standing behind one of them. And he's, he's not moving. He's not making any sort of aggressive motion. He's just standing there. There's something about the horror of things being somewhere where they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And he shouldn't be there. 
He shouldn't be standing there watching her like that. And because he's got that mask on, you, you can't see what's going on in his head. It's just this sort of slightly out of focus figure in the background. You don't know if he's going to pounce. You don't know if he's going to... It's terrifying. It's really, really clever. And Carpenter was the master of that. Of course, he was the master of, of great shocks, of, you know, suspense, but atmosphere. He was so good at that as well. I say he was, he's still around, and I still hold out the hope that he'll make one <laughs> last film. Come on, John, we need you. We need you more than we've ever needed you. But, you know, he's kind of retired now and doing his music and doing brilliantly, so, you know, fair play to the man. But, um, but yeah, I you know... I had somebody you, you, on, a, on a podcast saying they went to see him and his son in concert, and he said, when he starts I, doing the Halloween theme, yeah. the place goes bonkers. <laughs> I, I saw them a few years ago, and, yeah, well, I mean, you know... It, Assault on Precinct 13 comes on. Yeah, everybody loves it. You know, so they live. Yeah, everybody loves it. Great. Then Halloween comes on and the place does just go completely nuts. You know, just, <laughs> that's the one piece of music. Every, it's become like the Twilight Zone, hasn't it? That, you know, everybody goes to do, 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 do. When they're trying to do the scary stuff, you yeah. can do the Halloween theme and everybody knows what you mean. And it's like Jaws. Everybody knows what it means. They've all, it's almost got a life beyond the film it came from. We almost you don't know, have just, those sort of theme tunes anymore for big films, do we? It's a shame. We don't. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, there have been some good scores in films recently, but it's nothing that's quite as iconic hmm. as those. You know, that tinkling piano, which was ripped off endlessly throughout the 80s and beyond. You know, virtually every American slasher movie had some tinkling piano theme going on in it. it you, you couple that with the, the, the shock scares, you couple that with the atmosphere... And you couple it with the the really clever script. He's got a much smarter script than people give it credit for, I think. And so you you have got the greatest slasher movie ever made. It's perfect, absolutely perfect. It is incredible that when you consider, and and by, I think John Carpenter has, by his own admission, said this is just we were just a bunch of kids with not a yeah. lot of money and some gear, so we just went and yeah. and, and they made this genre defining piece yeah. of art that has lasted all these years and is still referred to as you know as one of the very best of the the, the genre has that, to offer you know, isn't that something that happens a lot you know that you get you know, the guys in texas back in the early 70s decided they were going to go to this old farmhouse and make a film and it became the texas chainsaw massacre exactly yeah, you, know, you had another bunch of kids later on who thought we'd like to make a horror film and they worked over weekends and it was the evil dead you know and it's like this happens so often that people just set out to have a bit of fun make the film that they want to see and it turns into a classic i think you know very much a strong believer that you can't make a classic a classic just mm. kind of happens. It happens to you, yeah. It happens to you, exactly. You know, occasionally you get a talent as towering as John Carpenter come along, make it look easy, which I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure, you know, he slaved over it. But he just makes it look so effortless. Mm. And he does things in it that you think, why did no one do that before? What, why, why did, did no one just have think- just standing, like, yeah. way off? And it's just by Exactly, the and then, oh. yeah. And, do, you know, really why did you not sort of shoot the character from a long distance so you can see him walking towards the house and then cut back inside the house? You think, oh, my God, he's coming, he's coming, where is he? You know, that kind of thing. And it's like, why did nobody think to do anything quite like that? People had done similar things, but nothing quite like that before. Mm. It is, it's an astonishing piece of work. And I, I don't know if you're aware of the podcast, um, Kevin, but there is a, a, a group called RKG. They 
a couple of years ago they made um a podcast series called the definitive companion and they went through all the halloween movies up to oh, right. oh no they did do halloween ends because it was all it culminated in the release of halloween kills and then right. they did uh, halloween ends as a special i hugely recommend everybody goes and listens to um i will the go definitive and listen companion. to that this very evening yes Oh, that's it, fantastic. It's a, a couple of guys called Daniel Kruper and Gav Murphy, who are two of my favourite people on the planet, and it's just... Marvellous. It's it's fantastic. But yeah, Halloween is a very, very welcome addition to your shelf then, Kevin. So we're going to jump to your fourth pick now. What's your favourite ghost or haunting horror? Ah, well, now, I've noticed here you didn't say film. So I'm going for television with this one. And I'm going <laughs> for one which might be slightly obvious, but it's Ghostwatch. The Screen One special that uh, broadcast on Halloween 1992 on the BBC. So freaked the BBC that they never showed it again. And oh. it was sort of hidden away somewhere in some vault until finally, you know, people started releasing it on disc. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film written by Stephen Volk, who's written a huge number of fantastic ghost and horror horror films and TV shows over the years. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to try and tell you too much about it because you really have to experience it for what it was. You have to put you put yourself in the mindset of being sitting at home, Halloween 1992, and this program starts. Now, because I was a nerd, I was recording it because I thought, this sounds interesting, I'll record that. And so I was there right at the beginning and I saw the screen two presents and I thought, oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, this isn't (laughs) going to be quite what they say it is. A lot of people didn't see that. Or if they did see that, they didn't register it. They didn't recognise what what it was, yeah. They didn't recognise what it was. And what they got was apparently a live outside broadcast from this incredibly haunted house in North London featuring real people, Michael Parkinson, Sarah Green, Mike Smith, Craig Charles, never really referred to as being those people. They call Sarah, Michael, all the rest, but they don't, it's very clever that they don't actually say it is these people. It's just, you know, we're left to assume that it is. Doing this outside broadcast, which goes horribly, catastrophically wrong in the most terrifying manner imaginable. And what is so scary about it is such a simple conceit. Remember, this is pre Blair Witch Project by several years, so this is before all the, the, the sort of the found footage things came along. So, not even only have you got this wonderful conceit that what we're watching is an actual live outside broadcast, they then do this remarkable trick. They show you at the beginning Mr. Pipes, Pipes, the ghostly haunting presence in the house. They show him sort of standing by a curtain, and we can see it. And people in the studio are looking at it, and they're not quite sure if they're seeing it or not. And you think, oh, that's a bit creepy. And then they keep showing it to him, showing him to you. And they don't always notice that he's there, and he just appears in the background, or he appears very briefly in a camera shot as it swirls around the room. And when I first saw it on Halloween, I didn't spot all those, which is bizarre, isn't it? I didn't actually spot the ghost. It wasn't until that Christmas when I took it to my sister's house and I watched it with her and her then boyfriend, now husband, and we were terrified. We spotted mm. it. Oh, my God, can you see? There he is, there he is, there he is. And, <laughs> you know, it was. It then became almost like an obsession, this programme. There, there are people out there who have spent years poring over different videos and, and DVDs and whatever of it to try and find all the sightings of pipes. 
I think there's about eight or nine, I think, that have been identified. Um, some of the people involved in the program have said there may be as many as 13 sightings of pipes, which means either they're having us on because it's all part of the joke, you know, let's wind them up and tell them there's yeah, more, yeah, which yeah. is very possible. Or there's more sightings of pipes waiting to be found, which is very exciting. But yeah, I mean, this thing is absolutely flat out terrifying. It frightens the life out of me every time I watch it. And <laughs> I'm trying not to give too much away about what happens in it because I want, if you haven't seen it, just go and watch mm. it. If, that, if you haven't seen it, and Joe's going to hate me for this, Stop listening to this now. Go and buy a copy or watch it and then come back later because honestly, Ghost Watches, watching Ghost Watches is far better than listening to me drone on about Ghost Watch. So uh, just go and well, watch it. It's a remarkable thing. Very scary. Unfortunately, if I, would, if I were to take that advice, Kevin, that would mean me getting up and walking away from this because Ghost Watch has been one of the things that's just eluded me. There, there is now oh. a, a DVD or there's a Blu ray release of there's it. There's a Blu ray, lovely recent Blu ray release. Yeah, which is I, absolutely. I, gorgeous yeah it, it's been on my list as a touch point i've been it's one of those cultural touch points i've been aware of and i've yeah I ju- the, the amount of time that i've spent thinking i wish i was yeah there to have been able to witness this because this is and and kevin i, I, I apologize for uh for how this might make you feel in 1992 <laughs> i was but a glint in my father's eye <laughs> I was born in 93, so I didn't... I think I've got something in my eye now. I think I might have a little (laughs) sob. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Ghost Watcher, but as a a culture, I've been aware of it. It should have become a Halloween tradition. It should have been on every year. Everybody should have seen it by now. But, you know, there's no excuse anymore. There's a beautiful Blu-ray. Go and watch that. It's fantastic. I, I, do you know what? As soon as we get off this call, Kevin, I'm going to order it straight away because I, it's been on. My, yeah, I've wanted to watch it yeah. for for so long now. So your fifth pick, then, Kevin. I think this we, we've made some room on the shelf for quite a hefty box set. So, what is your favourite horror TV show? Well, anybody who knows me knows that I'm going to say it's Doctor Who. I knew it's, that yeah, was coming, okay, Kevin. it's I science it. fiction, but it's <laughs> horror as well, and I can Absolutely. prove it's horror because I can tell you pretty much the precise moment that I became a horror fan and it was because of Doctor Who I can do it almost to the minute it was 13 minutes past six on the 9th of September 1967 and the reason I know that because that was when episode two of Tomb of the Cybermen was coming to an end and one of the defining moments in my life my memory of it is incredibly fuzzy I may not be remembering it properly I may just be remembering what other people have told me happened But the way I remember it, I'm sitting watching this program. I'm five years old and I've, you know, I've been loving Doctor Who. My mum used to tell me that she was sort of taking, you know, 17, 18 month old me to see friends or relatives when the first episode of Doctor Who came on. And of course, they were all watching the news because of John F. Kennedy's assassination and so on. And um, she always told me that I stopped dead in my tracks when the music started. And she said she was never surprised that my three biggest sessions later in life would be electronic music, science fiction in general, and Doctor Who in particular. So I, I was kind of, I was born with Doctor Who, really. It was there virtually my whole life. And I'm sitting watching Tomb of the Cybermen, and this is pretty scary stuff. They're all coming out the tombs. Their cyber controller has kind of unfurled himself from his little coffin, and he's huge, and he's got this domed perspex head you can see his brain throbbing away Mm -hmm. inside it absolutely terrifying in itself they then come wandering up this this guy this 
you know, sort of typical sort of idiot supporting character goes up to the cyber control and says, oh, yeah, we can work together, we can work together. And back then they had this awful electronic voice, this really flat monotone, you know, when they spoke. And the cyber controller grabs this guy and he says, you belong to us. And then he looks straight down the camera. And remember, I'm five years old. I don't know how television works. He looks straight down the camera. He says, you will be like us. And I screamed. I screamed. I, I was terrified. And, you know, my mum came rushing in. You know, what's going on? I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like them. I'm so scared. And, you know, my childhood was really, really good, I have to say. I was very lucky. I had a wonderful childhood. My mum only made one mistake, and she made it that day. when she uttered the fateful words, if this is what it's doing to you, you're not watching this anymore. And I screamed <laughs> even louder because of any thought of not coming back. But that was the moment I think I realised that it was actually it was okay to be scared in a controlled kind of way because, you know, yeah. I calmed down fairly quickly. I had a kind of... I knew there weren't Cybermen in my bedroom. I kind of suspected there might have been, but I, I knew really that there wasn't. And I think at that point, and obviously I was five years old, I wasn't making this conscious decision, but somewhere, you know, tucked away in my brain somewhere, I was thinking, you know what, this is all right. It's okay. Mm. I quite like being scared. And then mum comes in and tells me it's okay. I kind of like that. So I think that, you know, 1813 on the 9th of September 1967, Kevin Lyons horror fan was born. I think that was the moment when I, I realised that this is actually, this is fantastic. I, I, you know, I was there with Doctor Who right from the start. I still am with it now through thick and thin, you know. And um, there have been other moments that have absolutely terrified me really scary stuff in that program especially in the 60s and 70s the 60s and 70s you have to realize it was a time when british television had got one thought in mind when it came to entertaining children we want to scare the crap out of them we want mm-hmm. to really really traumatize this entire generation they were showing us the most extraordinary stuff in the 60s and 70s and doctor who was at its most frightening during my childhood i guess everybody's going to say that you know, I guess there are young children, and I know there are young children now who are terrified by the silence and, you know, terrified by the new Daleks and all the rest of it. But in the 60s, when it was in black and white, there was there was a little extra charge to that. And mm. it's made me the man I am today. So now you know who to blame. <laughs> Doctor Who. But of course, <laughs> you know, with those early experiences of, you know, of, of discovering genre and that sort of thing... Mm. That's, it's always going to be a charged thing. So, irrespective yeah. of you know, oh, kids are scared. You know, are scared of whatever monster it is in Doctor. The thing is, these days they're aware of the effect it's having on kids when they're making it back in the sixties yeah. and seventies. They're not necessarily getting the feedback that they're exposed I'm... to at this. But you don't have the voice to be able to. You know, if you wanted to say, you have to go, dear BBC, I was shocked. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And no you one, had to write no a letter one... of complaint. Yeah. <laughs> and by the time you finish the back... first sentence, you're like, oh, I can't, I can't, no, I can't bother. <laughs> but back then, of course, they weren't even thinking, this is terrifying the children. They were thinking, this is good family entertainment. Because it, it wasn't. It was never mm. made by the, the children's department. It was made by the drama department. Just kids happened to like it. So it mm. was... I, I don't know that they would... You know, there's a part of me that always thinks, you know, television executives in the 60s and 70s had got me in mind and were absolutely determined to <laughs> terrorise me and, and traumatise me and leave me scarred for life. But of course they weren't. They were just making what they thought were good, honest television programmes for children. They just happened to be 
a little bit more mature perhaps than they were later mm. on and they were genuinely bloody scary i don't think as you say i don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world to understand as you were saying fear in a controlled environment to experience mm-hmm. fear but to have zero consequence other than what your mind can project into your bedroom later that night of course I, I, as as much as i i have many and i'm sure you do i i have many many memories of nights where i'm utterly convinced it doesn't matter how much logic or reassurance i get there is something over there that shouldn't be there and it's going to get me when i close my eyes i'm going to have to but, break this to you that never goes away no i'm now i'm now 60 not. and there are nights i wake up and think what the bloody hell was that you know it never leaves us it's kind of almost like a sort of primitive sort of caveman throwback thing you know mm. it, it's there deep in our subconscious that we have to be half awake and half half sort of cocked for some kind of i don't know some kind of threat or danger that's coming to mm. get us and of course you know you wake up in the middle of the night you do think what was that what's going what's that noise you know it stays with us forever it's just growing old is you know as i'm discovering growing old is realizing <laughs> that that fear is not necessarily Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a ghost. It's that creature. It's the cyber sure. leader coming to get me. Yeah, it's yeah. just a fox by the bins or something. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> but when you're five years old and you see the cyber leader, a fox Absolutely. by the bins is you know, that's that's the Cyberman invasion fleet landing in your back garden. <laughs> and you know, yes, it did traumatize me, but it traumatized me in a really good and positive way. I think mm. it sort of it brought out this this interest in all things morbid and frightening and scary and i think my parents were a little bit worried that i suddenly started taking an interest in scary stuff but you know haven't had that bad a life out of it really (laughs) (laughs) okay well i I especially like that doctor who is is on your shelf because it's been with you your entire life and your mum's convinced that when you heard the music that was it i i that's what the entire reason for making this podcast Cool. is to hear stories cool. like that becky dark came up with a, a similar one she was talking about but she said she doesn't it, it, words the effect of buffy's in her dna yeah i, I really yeah. like the idea that that we all have stories yes exactly and characters yeah and universes that we all consider that's part of who we are now so that's entirely I don't remember a time answer. when doctor who wasn't there even when it was off air i was reading the books and you know reading the magazine stuff it's always been there my entire mm. life and mm. i kind of hope that when my time comes when you know so the, there's a knock on the door and the, the grim reaper's outside he's carrying a copy of tomb of the cybermen and we're going to sit down and watch that as i as i go out <laughs> of this world It'd be marvelous <laughs> <laughs> oh what a lovely way to finish that would be smashing wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> it would wouldn't it <laughs> excellent right okay then uh which horror film has your favorite jump scare kev well this is related to an earlier film and as soon as i say the title a good number of people here will know exactly the bit i'm talking about it's exorcist 3 yes and yes it is again it's one of those where i think i can't really talk about why it's my favorite jump scare because i don't want to give it away it's that <laughs> moment we all know it if we've seen the film we all know that that, that moment with the nurse and the hospital corridor that scary so perfectly timed it's so clever what i think i realized many years after seeing it for the first time really got to me and apologies if you haven't seen it i mean just skip forward don't listen to me because you really <laughs> need to experience this moment and you, just you be do. terrified by it yeah there's a scene just before it happens the nurse locks the door 
you see her lock the door and then she turns around and then that happens and you think hang on a minute (laughs) she locked the door and that is what makes it so terrifying because it's a brilliant piece of misdirection he's been keeping this camera locked on this this Mm -hmm. corridor for so long and people have wandered in and out and you know something's coming for it's not really much of a a spoiler this one but in case you don't know the, the the there's a serial killer on the loose who turns out to be something not quite what you expect and targeting people with the letter k in the name now obviously this bothers me being a kevin this is you know this caused me some consternation at the time but we we know there's a nurse in the hospital who has a k in her name and she's on duty on this desk at the end of this long corridor and we know it's coming we know she's you know she's the next victim we know that but they, he, it's brilliant. William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original Exorcist, directed this one. And he, it is absolutely perfect that he, he kind of misdirects us. It's like the police that are on guard walk out of the corridor. And you think, this is it, this is it, this is it. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they come back in again. Oh, OK. There's a little cutaway jump scare when she goes into another room. And you think, oh, that's it, that's, oh, thank goodness, that's over. Phew, we can relax. And then he hits us with, I think, the greatest jump scare in horror history i'm not a big fan of jump scares i much prefer films that sort of worm their way under your skin and sort of you know get to you but that that jump scare is priceless and works every single time i watched it very recently at the time of recording i reviewed the film for my uh, review website and i thought a good excuse to watch it again and it still made me jump even though i knew it was coming <laughs> i still ah, when it happened so yeah just um yeah whatever you do don't go and read anything about it if you haven't seen it yet Make sure you avoid any references to what actually happens. Just trust me. Go and watch it. You'll never be the same person again. I actually don't have anything to add to, <laughs> to what you've just said, Kev. That, that was a perfect answer. You're, you're absolutely right with the misdirection. It's, it, do you know what? It stresses me out how good it is. The timing is impeccable. And, and, and just it's so to, to simple. Your... That's the key mm, to it. It's, it's so simple. Effective. It's not flashy. It literally, he locks the camera off. Then he's probably sitting around the corner watching it on a monitor. And it just goes and goes and goes. And you think, it's got to happen now. Surely it's got to happen. No, it hasn't happened now. And it's just so simple, so beautiful. Mm. There's no grandstanding. There's no sort of, you know, oh, look at look how clever we are with our visual effects and everything. It's just a really simple scare. And God, it works every single time. Oh. Every single time. It, it is phenomenal. Just to, to your, your point about, um, you know, jump scares being, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can be quite a cheap sort of thing. And what you yeah. prefer is, you know, like a, a general sort of sense of dread and foreboding in a building atmosphere. I'm 100% with you. But at, at certain points, it's lovely to have a oh, yeah. beautifully, perfectly cooked steak. But sometimes you just you just want a Big Mac. So Exorcist three, it's yeah, it, it's 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 perfect. Five stars, no notes. Five Absolutely. stars, no notes Absolutely. for that jump scare. Fantastic. This this next question uh, is my favourite question of all the ones I ask on this show. Which horror movie had the most emotional effect on you? It's deliberately vague. The word emotional. Yeah. I thought Go long on. and hard about this one because obviously fear is an emotion. So uh-huh. it could have been you know. I went in the end for the film that the horror film that moved me the most fantastic and that would have to be and this might be an unusual choice dark water from 2002 the um hideo nakata film that he did as a follow-up to ring it's not only is it a terrific ghost story in its own right really really good but 
the ending, the final scene, which obviously I can't discuss in great length here, is one of the most moving things I've seen in a horror film. It really, it just mm. hit me. It's, it was very rarely do we see in a horror film, you know, things happen and then all the characters that have survived it all go, phew, it's all over, they all go home and the end titles roll. This one doesn't let us off that easy. It jumps forward several years into the future into the future of the, the characters in the film so mm. there's a little girl in it who's been you know subjected to all these hauntings and all the rest of it and we jump forward to when she's a teenager and she sees something at the end which you know look i'll tell you what i'm going to do i am actually going to spoil it just if if you haven't seen dark water and you plan to stop listening go watch it skip over this come back later it's basically her mum has been trying to protect her from the ghost of this little girl in this apartment block, this horrible apartment block that they're living in. Mm. And she's, you know, she's also trying to free the little girl from, you know, being a ghost. And the only way she can do it in the end is for her to die, for the mum to die. And that in itself is really sad that the little girl has lost her mum. It's, it's tragic. But then you get this beautiful little coda where the girl is now a teenager, she's at school she goes past the house where all this happened with her mates and she goes inside and her mum's there with the little girl she's never left she's still looking after the little girl waiting for her daughter honestly I, I was I saw this at Fright Fest so you know I was sort of surrounded by hardened horror fans and I'm sitting there with the lights come up and I'm no I'm alright I'm okay I'm no no you're crying I'm not I'm no I'm fine, I'm fine. but he really really got to me he's a beautifully mm done scene and you know i've seen a lot of people say oh no it's not necessary you don't need it you do it's the emotional kicker at the end of the film that sort of sends you out into the into the dark afterwards thinking about what you've seen it's not just Mm. a simple ghost story now it's about it's a ghost story about the the effects that family can have on you the effect that your mum has on you the effect that you know childhood traumas can have on you it's all done in that one final scene beautifully shot absolutely wonderful so sorry it, if you it, you've happened to hear it and you haven't seen the film yet, but just go and watch it anyway because it will still get to you. Absolutely, and far be it from from me to sort of you know reprimand anyone who hasn't seen any of the films of course, because yeah. it's very often the case that I haven't myself. You're absolutely right with with the ending of Dark Water. It's the fact that it's quite a complicated metaphor, isn't it? the fact that she mm. literally, in order to be yeah. the mum that this ghost needed. She had to not be the mum, in a way, in one yeah. sense, not be the mum of her, her own, own daughter. daughter. Yeah, exactly. But in another sense, you can read it as, well, she's a mum to them both. That's it's right. just this yeah. one needs a bit, the, the care is slightly different. Well, there you go. You see, but, this is all again tying back to our childhoods and all the rest of it. And that's, you know, it, 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 that's why it has the emotional effect on you, because it is about, mm. we can't understand ghosts because, you know, I mean, I don't believe that they exist, but we can't really understand uh-huh. ghosts. We can understand the love of our mother. Yes. Or we can totally, or, you know, either the, the total love of our mother or the lack of love from our mother, mm. whichever way it is. We get that. And that's why that final sequence works. And, you know, the way I read it was that she hadn't given up on her daughter at all. You know, a lot of people were thinking, oh, you know, how, how could she kill herself and, you know, leave a little girl behind? She didn't leave her behind. I kind of feel it, my feeling kind of is that the daughter was always going back to that apartment that wasn't the yeah. first time she'd gone back there she was going back and her mum was waiting for her and would always be there for her 
and you know, yeah, she's, that, you know it's... she's looking after them both in a, the, the only way that she now knows how mm. that's that's uh, i think we share a, yeah we definitely share a reading of that but yeah you're absolutely right it is extremely moving and it's it's a it's a wonderful as you say coda to the to the film i think we do need to address that actually it's also the moment of realization when the switcheroo happens yeah if you know what i mean yeah. when they're in the corridor and she looks up her daughter's down there when she's thinks she's gone that's into the lift to get her as she yeah. looks down oh my oh life. that's fantastic Fabulous. Sequence, isn't it? yeah it's and, you know hideo nakata is one of those great i think still very underrated directors who's so good at things like that you know we all love ring we've all seen that we love that and it's a shame that he didn't make more films that broke through quite as big as that it was um you know he's such a talented director and like you say that one scene you know with, with like oh there goes my daughter hang on a minute you know that is well, so clever. but if you're there who's yeah huh? who's this? yeah <laughs> which is really 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 creepy and again you know this, you could ask me these questions next week and i might well give you a completely different set of set of answers i think that's just the way these things go but i Absolutely. think you know it could actually this could actually be my favorite ghost haunting film as well because you know it has got quite a punch to it it is very scary very creepy and it's got that emotional kick at the end that i don't think most most films actually have there, there is a just on, on the on the point of um transferring it to sort of your favorite ghost um horror story as well there's a, a fantastic episode of i can't remember if it was actually on evolution of horror or if it was on films to be buried with with mm-hmm. um brett goldstein but andy nyman was I think it was with Brett Goldstein actually. He goes on um to talk about Dark Water and and discuss what he thinks about it. There's a really, really fantastic discussion that he brings to Brett about how there is a kinship between English sort of mm-hmm. Victorian ghost stories and Japanese ghost stories because there's a certain a certain poise and a certain mm-hmm. not wishing to disrupt society too often. Do you know what I mean? That's like the sort of point. stiff upper yeah. lip, like buttoned up yeah. sort of tie. Yeah, and yeah, with, yeah, yeah. There's a real affinity between the two. Yeah, I like it. The sort of, you know, the, the repression and the ghosts sort of busting exactly, through yeah. that repression and sort of, you know, That's exactly it, yeah. freeing people in some way. Yeah, yeah. And that, of course, that works in films like The Innocence. It works in films like The Haunting, which are also mm-hmm. incredible. These, these were all the runners-up in my ghost haunting yes. horror I, I thought section. They might you know, be. these are great <laughs> films. And, you know, that again, it's got that same sort of thing to it about how, you know, repressed people are then sort of manipulated by or, or even freed by the supernatural by ghosts mm. you know impinging on their lives so yeah that's a very good point and i'd never made that connection myself i'm going to go away and think about that yeah. <laughs> fantastic uh okay so dark water is the seventh disc on your shelf then kev your eighth for this one what was your best experience with a horror movie in or a horror film even, in the cinema. It doesn't really matter. Well, I'm actually going to double up here, but we have, there are two versions of the film, so I can have two discs here. Right, I'm going with... We'll put a loophole. Exorcist, <laughs> put the earliest Exorcist 3 as the director's cut, the, the, the uh-huh. you know, Legion, that version, and seeing Exorcist 3 for the first time was probably my best experience with a horror film in the cinema. I was living, as I said earlier, I was living on the Isle of Wight at the time, moved to London, you know, early 90s. And we'd come up, me and, me and a friend had come up, he ran a fanzine that I used to write for. We'd come up to a, a, a sort of overnight horror film festival at the Camden Parkway Cinema. 
and I can't honestly remember a lot of what was on. I know there was a very funny um, Chinese vampire movie, and the, I can't remember what the title was. I wish I could because it had got this great subtitle in it where they're telling this. Um, if anybody knows, please let me know what this film was called. There was a, a great scene where the, the guys are telling this woman that she can't come and help them fight the vampires because you're pregnanted, which I've just brought the house down, which was hilarious, you know, absolutely fantastic. And I wish I knew what that was. But the highlight of that, that evening was definitely the first screening of Exorcist 3. And you have to remember that back then there was no internet. The only way we got word of things coming across were through fanzines. You know, we used to buy fanzines in from the States. We had our own ones, you know, Sam Hayden of Shock Express and Strange Adventures that I was writing for. And that was the only way we knew stuff. And we didn't know that that moment was coming. And to be in a cinema with a room full of hardened horror film fans who, you know, this was, you know, in in the immediate aftermath, really, of the video nasty. So we'd all seen Cannibal Holocaust. We'd all seen, you know, Sala. We'd seen everything. We'd seen everything that the horror genre could have thrown at us at the time and to see all these people myself included scream and jump all at the same time wow i mean that was quite you, you've never really experienced unless you've actually been in a cinema where everybody like, vocalizes at the same time and it yeah. was such a show you could feel that the, the row of seats shake when it happened when everybody jumped and it was it, i don't think i've ever had that before or since it was such a remarkable moment you know, one of those moments where you makes you sort of feel horror really does work, doesn't it? It really does mm. work because look what it's doing to these people. We're all hardened fans. We've all seen it all. And it can still scare the crap out of us with the simplest of, of, of things. So, OK, I'm doubling up here. But, you know, the, it was such a, an experience. I've never forgotten it. And even now when I watch it, I still remember the look on my mate's face. When you could just see with the doctor turned to look at him and he looked at me and the colour had drained out of both of us and we were just like shaking our head at each other like, you know, we're never going to talk about this ever. <laughs> it was <just> too frightening. <laughs> oh, but, you know, I've had stuff. lots of experience yeah. that have been great. You know, he's, I'm not a great fan of audience interaction per se, although I did have a marvellous time at the Prince Charles Cinema in London with Die Hard a few years ago where everybody was, it would become like a Rocky Horror experience just where you know when, when John McClane takes his shoes off at the start to um, crunch his toes and somebody shouts no don't do it because they all know what's coming <laughs> that was hilarious that was great I'm not a big fan of it but I am a big fan of that kind of spontaneous reaction that mm. people have um, I remember at Fright Fest seeing um Dawn of the Dead, which is a film I think is, you know, a little overrated, to be honest. I've I said that before in Evolution of Horror and I only just got away with my life, so I'm, I'm <laughs> taking a chance saying it again. But I, I remember seeing at Fright Fest and someone getting really excited because it was the uncut version and they showed the exploding head at the beginning. Yeah! You know, it's like, <laughs> this is brilliant because he's really, really into this, isn't it? And, you know, there have been other experiences like that of, of sort of seeing another one actually just sprung to mind sorry just across the road just outside my window from where i am here you could just if it wasn't dark you'd be able to see the top of what was the scala i think it still is the scala but back in the day it came up for an all-nighter of dario argento films and at that time i thought um phenomena was one of the greatest films ever made i loved it and then everybody laughed at it all the way through it (laughs) it was like oh Actually, they're right, aren't they? This is actually rubbish, but it's really good rubbish. <laughs> you know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absurd, but 
it, I love it. It's wonderful. And so that was a great experience with an, uh, an, an audience in a cinema as well. And every experience in the Scala was an experience, you know. The, 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 I, I've the heard... This is it. I, this is exactly what I was going to ask you. I've I've heard legend of this cat that would just yeah. jump into your lap at some. Oh yeah, yeah. There were several people that night. I went to the Scala many times. I used to come up, you know, watch films there. And many times I saw people go scream and jump out. They said because this figure sort of you know jumped in their <laughs> lap or it ran past their their legs and they felt something furry run past their feet or something. And you know, so yeah, there was that. And every so often you'd hear the tube trains out of King's Cross rumbling underneath <laughs> it. As well. It was a fantastic experience. The likes of which, you know, that you never got at any other any other cinema. Mm. It was um, it was marvelous. I mean, Exorcist Three is going to be the best one simply because it was it was just so satisfyingly brilliant seeing all these people terrified. But you know, back in the day, you could have some really good experiences. There are other experiences in cinemas. This is a family podcast. I can't really can't really <laughs> go into those details about what people were doing in the back row behind me and all the rest of it. But yeah, there, there were those experiences as well. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I've not had anyone mention that before. It's a, it's an entire aspect to that question. I, I just hadn't considered that. Oh yeah, that could be <laughs> someone having yeah. a whale of a time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, these, trust me, these people were having a great time. It's like, and what made it worse is I had to, I got up and moved because I thought this is too embarrassing. And it was a virtually empty cinema. And guess where they came and sat when it was over? About three bloody ste- seats away from me in the same row. Like, no, thank you very much. <laughs> But in fact, that does relate to a film that we're going to talk about a bit later as well. So anybody would think I planned this. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, so for your your best experience with a horror film in a cinema, it's Exorcist 3. What I've also done with the the DVD for this one, Kev, is I've I've installed a, a bit of software on it so that when that jump scare happens, the seat that you're in is going to rumble in exactly the same manner as it did the first time yep, you saw it in the yep. cinema. And, and, and you're going to hire loads of people just come round and sit behind me and scream by many hours. That's exactly it. Jump even more. Excellent. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Let's go for your ninth disc. What's the most underrated horror film? This one intrigues me for you, Kev. What's the wow. most underrated horror film? There are so many. We could do a whole podcast. We could do a whole podcast series on underrated horror films. And like I said earlier, you asked me next week, this could be an entirely different choice. The reason I've chosen this one, and I promise you this is not some kind of mad commercial plug, I promise you, it just happens to be on my mind. I'm doing a commentary for this film in a couple of weeks' time, and it's Richard Longcrane's Full Circle from 1977. An absolutely amazing little kind of almost lost, almost forgotten ghost story with Mia Farrow and Keir Delay and a very, very young Sophie Ward. And it's an extraordinary film, absolutely wonderful film. And it's one of those films that was, it was genuinely lost for a very long while. There was a guy who um, became obsessed with the idea of finding it. And thanks to him, we now have about four different versions of it all about to come out at the time of recording this, all coming out on Blu-ray. And I'm hoping that this is going to completely sort of reinvigorate this sort of reputation of this film, which I think is absolutely remarkably good. And... People, more people should have seen it but it was, it's just been missing for so long I don't think it ever had a disc release up to now it had a a, a video release you know a while ago but it hasn't had a, 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 a disc release at all so it's been a lost film in a sense and now we're all going to finally get to see it again and trust me you are in for such a treat it is a marvellous film if you like slow burning very atmospheric ghost stories <laughs> 
this is the one for you you are gonna lo- it's yes you know you can look at it and think okay there's a little bit of don't look now in here of course there is yes there is but it's I'm not, again I kind of don't want to give anything away with it because it's yeah. You know, because it's coming out, I want people to be able to go out and see it. But just trust me on this one. It's a ghost story. It's set in um, 1970s London. So you've got a lot of, you know, lovely sort of shots of Holland Park. But, you know, it's got it's got those beautiful British locations. It's got that sort of... Sort of un, I don't know. You can't reproduce it. People keep trying that kind of 70s vibe to it. There's something slightly cold and something slightly... Mm frosty about those late 70s British horror films people keep trying to reproduce this and they never get it right and it's just you know great performances from Mia Farrow as you would expect from Keir Dulay as you would expect and it's just about this woman who thinks she's being again ties in with Dark Water it's about a woman who whose own daughter has died and she thinks she's being haunted initially she thinks she's being haunted by her but it turns out to be another child is haunting her and that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anymore. Oh. It is coming out soon. You just have to wait. trust me on this one. Full circle, Richard Longcray. What a remarkable little film. And for well, so long, and... out of out of circulation. And I, I just can't wait for people to see it. I'm just hoping we're going to have this massive sort of outpouring of love for this film now. Well, and, and even more so, reason to buy it, featuring commentary with Kevin Lyons 100% I'm really well, I'm, excited I'm about this I'm Australian disc so you'll, you'll probably have to sort of pay to import <laughs> it or if you're listening in Australia well done you get you get me and Jonathan Rigby talking about it but if not you have to import it. oh fabulous oh even better that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing no, we, yeah we, we, we've, um, we, we're going to be recording that in a couple of weeks time and very much looking forward to it so by the oh, time this comes fantastic. out you, you may we, we will we'll have recorded it and you may even have the disc on pre-order so, uh, oh, I'm very excited about that. Full Circle, that was the name circle. of that one. I've also known as The Haunting of Julia. It's, um, Haunting of Julia. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm making a note for that for myself more than Good man, you're going to love it. You're going to love it, trust me. Fantastic. Okay, your your 10th disc. We're coming into the, the final few here. Your 10th disc then, Kev. What's the last film which scared you? This was a tough one because, as I've mentioned, I'm an old man. And I've seen, you know, I, I don't want to be that guy that goes on, oh, yeah, I've seen more horror films than you. But I've seen a lot in my You my undoubtedly time. have, yeah. I, I've seen <laughs> you know, a lot. I've probably seen more horror films that are actually probably good for me, to be honest. And it's become really hard for people to scare people like me. You know, as yeah. you get older, you become... You know, what, what scares me at the age of 11 didn't scare me at the age of 21, it didn't scare me at the age of 41. Now that I'm coming up to 61, the same things still don't scare me. Other things mm. scare me. You know, you get older, you do sort of, you don't get scared of it, but you become more aware of your mortality. You know, your friends start leaving you and, you know, it's all mm. the rest of it. And you kind of, that becomes more frightening. Whereas, you know, when you're younger, other things are more frightening. But, you know, they can still do it. I'm, I, again, I don't want to be that guy who sits around saying, oh, all modern horror films are rubbish. I'll be honest with you, I do prefer older films. Of course I do, because I encountered them at the right time. I encountered them when I was in my teens and my 20s and even into my 30s. You know, as you get older, you become more cynical. You're not quite as receptive to this stuff. But I do still find really good modern films. And the last one which scared me, it just made me jump so many times and also was very, very creepy, was Host by Rob I Savage. knew you were going to say host. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> of course, because it's you know he sort of ties in with some of the other films that we we talked about here. You know, it's got that sort of slow burning creepiness, 
but then it has a couple of really good jump scares yeah mm. and it was just so clever i'm sure most people listening will know about host if you don't it's it was the, kind of the first of the lockdown horror films wasn't it it was kind of yeah it's, it's all done on zoom the whole thing is done on zoom uh, which is particularly scary as we're, we're doing this on Zoom. So I'm kind of half expecting <laughs> something horrible to hope into view from behind you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you know, it was made at a time when we were just getting used to the idea of Zoom. It was new technology. And mm. I think, you know, a lot of people, particularly people of my age, were a little bit scared of Zoom. They didn't quite know how it worked and everything. And then all of a sudden, it was acting as a conduit for the supernatural. And like, well, you know, it's like, really really scary stuff so well done rob that was superb work i mean just mm. put together very quickly um i think i saw a, a making of thing on uh youtube where some of the actresses were saying that they're having to apply their own gore makeup effects because obviously they couldn't have you know people come around so they were being sent instructions how to do it and it's so well crafted for a film that's basically shot in people's houses and just recorded on zoom you would you know you it, it frightens me more than most more than most, I think, of the the recent crop of horror films. I'm finding, I am going to be that guy. I am finding a lot of modern horror films, they're too long for me. I think, you know, if you can't tell your story and scare me in 80 to 90 minutes, I'm not interested, you lose me after that. I'm getting a little bit fed up of films that are constantly about trauma and grief. Come on, guys, you know, it, it, it's, it, trauma and grief have become the new zombies. You know, once upon a time we were sick to the other zombie films. Now it's every film somebody has to suffer a trauma. Let's just, just make a proper old-fashioned horror film. He says being grumpy. I'm that guy in the in the in the, um, in, in the social media meme. You know, the the the, the um, Simpsons guy, the old man shouting at clouds. <laughs> <laughs> I do tend to agree with you on 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 some of that, particularly the the length of horror films for sure. Well, host, you host... know, it, it was over really quickly. He sort of got in there, scared the the living what's it out of you, and then went, and that was absolutely perfect. It was, you know, it was, there was no flab on that film at all. No, no, absolutely not. It, it was one of those films that when I I first watched it, I, I was, I was, I was giddy. I was, yeah, giddy. It came, it came. There were so many factors as to why it's it's a perfect film. Is that, yeah, it came at exactly the right time. We all understood the language of Zoom, and they literally. Yeah. I, I heard Jed Shepard talking about this, and he said we literally we opened Zoom. We took a lit. We looked at the list of features, and we go right. We can do this for that. This yeah, for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, phenomenal. The 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 actors because they're they're all friends anyway. That yes. it's all completely believable. We were all still like, oh, this is weird, isn't it? We don't yeah, really know yeah, how yeah. to react. But it, it, and reference all the drinking parties, all that sort of thing. But then, just I I I didn't understand. And this is partly why I was giddy because I realised I was so proud of everybody for going. Yes. This is what we can do. This is what we can do. Yeah. This is what we can create. And I was honestly, it was it was horrendous. I was evangelical about. I was <laughs> yeah. virtually. I mean, obviously, we couldn't knock on doors, but I was sure, like, but you yeah. need to you see this. See this I film. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care if you're not a horror. My, I made my in-laws watch it. It shut them up <laughs> good. But do you see how good this? Is? It's phenomenal. And again, you know, it's, that, it's that simplicity thing, isn't it? That you know, sort of like even when you look at the great classics, like something like Night of the Living Dead or, or Evil Dead or something like that, or Halloween, they weren't big flashy films. 
There were mm. people telling a really good story with whatever they had at hand, with whatever resources that they could get. And that's what these guys were doing with this. They couldn't go out and make a horror film because we were in lockdown. So what could we do to make a horror film in lockdown? And so they just mm. looked at the technology. They came up with this. You know, the story, okay, the story is not the greatest story ever told, but it works. It works brilliantly in the context of what they're trying to do. And yeah. it took me a few weeks to settle down doing zoom meetings after that i would you know okay you know is there a goat literally a ghost in the machine now i'm not so sure this is scary <laughs> yeah I, I did once i you know I'd, I'd gotten over it and you know we're now a couple of years on from it i mm. i was thinking i was like is it gonna age well because generally if you introduce a new technology sure it doesn't age particularly well but i've since shown it i've watched it again recently i think it's going to be almost if not more frequently it would certainly be a yearly and annual yeah. rewatch for me yeah and even now i'm so no this still it's still holding it up it's, it, i'm going to be very interested to see in 20 years time i think we will look back on it and go that was the horror movie of the covid of the period moment. that yeah, really that's right yeah, that absolutely captured the zeitgeist. I don't know if in 20 years we're still going to be... Possibly. Even as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, I think it will still I work, think it could stand you know, the, the but... test of time. Because I think, you know, it sort of tapped into a very scary time in our lives. And I think, mm. you know, those people, I don't know if I'm going to be here in 20 years' time. I do hope so, but who, who knows? I'm hoping that, the, you know, you young whippersnappers who are still going to be here in 20 years' time who saw it mm. will still be looking back on it as fondly as I looked back on films that I saw 20 years or more ago. You know, I think mm. it has got the legs to do that. And I think, you know, we didn't suddenly stop using Zoom just because lockdown ended. In my day job, I'm on Zoom at least two or three times a week chatting to people. So, yeah. Well, you know, and indeed, it, as you say, here we are now. On here Zoom. we are doing this on Zoom. <laughs> and it's become such a sort of part of our lives now. Zoom is almost like, like the wallpaper, isn't it? It's just kind of there. It's part of our mm. lives. I haven't been back to see hosts since because, you know, it was a little unsettling. I might have to go and watch it again <laughs> now and see how, it's, how, how, um, how it stands up for me. But I have a feeling you're right. I think it's still going to work. It's a remarkable mm. piece of work. It's astonishing. I'm I'm so pleased for that team now because Jed Shepard, yeah. I think it, it, Rob Savage, they're now doing a Stephen King adaptation. They are. And that's yeah. just I'm yeah I'm so pleased for those guys. These, the, you know young people phenomenal. who made you know made something out of nothing, mm. and now suddenly you know Hollywood's calling. It's it's, it's one of yeah. those great sort of you know genre success stories, isn't it? And you know more power mm. to them. I hope they go a long way absolutely okay fantastic so host is on your shelf kevin and what an amazing incredible addition to your shelf that is this is gonna be a fun one now what's the best death or kill you've seen in a horror movie that was surprisingly easy i thought i'd struggle with that and then it just occurred to me of course it's the opening 15 minutes or so of dario argento's suspiria which has just got to be one of the most elaborate death sequences ever in any film um if you haven't seen it it involves um somebody knocking on the door of a house in panic they're, they're scared of something there's something lurking outside there's a pair of eyes lurking outside and then there's a crawl space a knife a beating heart some rope and a very ornate um sort of stained glass window which doesn't last very long because it's a Dario Argento <laughs> film so of course you know that's not going to last very long and by the end of the sequence two people have met extraordinarily horrible and entirely inexplicable deaths 
Mm. You know, you, you you watch it. Even when you've seen the whole film, you still come back to it. I'm not quite sure how this is working, but it's so good. It's brilliant. It's just, <laughs> you know, I think one of the ad lines for the film, they got the running time wrong, but they said, you know, sort of the only thing scarier than the first 15 minutes of the other 92 or something. It's not that long, but, you know, and people were sort of picking out straight away that that opening sequence was really quite special. And it is, it is a fantastic. And it's just so beautifully, as you'd expect from Dario Argento. We're going to have a bit more about him in a second, but it's, <laughs> you know, it, it is beautifully shot and just paced to perfection. Every time you think, oh, this is the end now, he's just going to cut away to something else, something else happens, something else happens, and then you get this sort of, you know, this body coming through this um, stained glass ceiling. It's not even a window, it's a ceiling. I mean, who has, <laughs> only the Italians would have a stained glass ceiling, or the Germans in this case, isn't it? It's set in Germany. But it comes, the body comes crashing through on a rope, and, you know, the first victim hangs and the second victim is impaled by the falling masonry from... He's like, my God, that's amazing. And, in, you know, the film calms down then for a little while because it needs to, because, you know, you've got to try and get your, get your head back together after that opening sequence. It is quite remarkable. Really, really something. It is fantastic. As soon as Suspiria is mentioned, two things come to my mind. is obviously the colour palette, yep. but... The score is just—it's—it's it's just delicious. I—I—I I, I, I do worry about what my coworkers might think of me because quite a lot of the time, if I'm doing something that just needs a bit of focus, yeah. I'll put my earphones in, and I will just have that initial. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just put that on repeat and loop it and loop it and just—it—it's just—it's such a beautiful bit of music, and it's it gorgeous. does kind of. Yeah, it does. For me, like it works in the film, but when I'm at work and listen to it, when it starts going, that's time to turn this off now. I'll just listen to something else. (laughs) And for those who don't know, I'm sure a lot of people do know this. The music was actually written first, and it was played at extremely high volume on the set to try and unsettle and terrorise the actors while they were doing it. Well, I mean, it would... Well, I it, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was actually... And I... You know, one of my other great passions in life is prog rock. I'm an old hippie. Sue me. What can you do about it? <laughs> but I... I you know, Goblin will ha, always have been one of my favourite bands and I was so lucky to see them a few years ago play live and do some of the music from Suspiria. <sighs> And it's like, oh my God, it's still chilling, even in a sort of, you know, mm. you sit in a nice comfy chair somewhere in the Barbican or wherever it was. And it was terrifying. Was it like, dum, 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 oh my God, this is terrifying. You know, that bazooki comes in and really, really gorgeous score. And, you know, Argento was always very good with his scores. No matter what else you think about some of his later films, his scores have always been absolutely terrific the other film that almost made it to my favorite uh, uh death scene was another argento it's the scene in um tenebrae where the camera crawls around the outside of the house i think you're familiar with this as um we know there's a serial argento's he's a bit of a, a a bit of a blind spot ah. on, on my well, tenebrae is this wonderful you... sequence where there's two women in a house and you know yes it there are issues about there are always women that get murdered in these films. Argento makes some really feeble excuses about it, but you know, it's like that's that's an argument for another day. We don't have time for that. But the, the two women in this house, and you know that the killer's outside, and normally any normal director, any sane director, would just cut from one window to another to show what's going on. Argento shows us one of the women looking out the window, then this gorgeous pounding piece of electronic sort of prog rock music starts to play from 
They weren't calling themselves Goblin at the time for contractual reasons, but it's several members of Goblin. And the camera suddenly moves, and he's on a Luma crane, and he goes up the outside of this apartment block, pivots, goes along the roof, pivots again, comes back down the other side, and catches the killer breaking into the back of the building and another window. And all the time he's got this incredible, pounding, electronic prog rock score going on. If you see nothing else of Argento, or nothing else of Tenebrae, and Tenebrae is a film I can highly recommend, watch that sequence it will blow your mind and you know the perfect marriage of of innovative visuals and extraordinary music it doesn't get much better than that that was my second choice for the for um, you know sort of most remarkable kill so if you can find a box set with Suspiria and Tenebrae in it stick stick that on there so uh, <laughs> not on the shelf <laughs> fantastic even as you were describing that I was like oh, I've got to see this now. You have. I've been aware yeah. that you know I, I just the giallo side of things I just don't, I, I don't really have a huge amount of knowledge sure. on it and you know Brad Hansen had his issues with that which I completely <laughs> understand <laughs> totally, he's a yeah. huge Argento head so yeah well, he's gonna he's gonna love the next bit then. So, <laughs> well, let, let's go straight into this. So, one film from your favourite horror director. I feel it's I Dario might Argento. know where we're going. <laughs> yeah, it's Dario. I could have chosen any number of directors. You know, Terence Fisher. I love those um, Hammer horrors. I absolutely love all those. I could have chosen yeah. George Romero, David Cronenberg. You know, Carpenter. They're all brilliant directors who made brilliant films. But Argento just has the edge for me, just because he's so batshit crazy to be honest you know he does things that he just no other director does and the one film i would choose would actually be deep red which i think is his Aha. absolute masterpiece um a Suspiria was the first one i saw and in fact those um those people enjoying themselves in the cinema they were enjoying themselves <laughs> at, at a screening of Suspiria. And, that, you know, I, luckily Suspiria came on and I forgot all about them. But, um, you know, seeing Suspiria in the cinema was an extraordinary experience. But then catching up with Deep Red, first the um, cut-down international version on uh, video, badly panned and scanned, you know, you think, yeah, this is okay. Then you see it on DVD, you see it on Blu-ray, you think, God, this thing is a masterpiece. It is absolutely astonishing. It features one of those... Um, the things that Argento likes to do is like he likes to plant something at the beginning of the film which the character sees and then can't quite work out what's going on sometimes he's cheated this one he hasn't and I'm not going to give this away for you you may miss it if you do you'll suddenly he shows you at the end he comes back to it and actually shows you what what the person saw it is so clever it is so clever. And if you spot it the first time, it's great because, you know, that, that's wonderful. If, if you don't, you immediately go back to watch the beginning again because it's just, you know, just marvellous. And it, I, I, of all of his films, and I love all his films from Bird with the Crystal Plumage right through to um, Opera. And after that, it gets a little bit shakier. There's some really good stuff after that. But, you know, that, that sort of golden era of the original films, Deep Red is, is the one that stands out for me. And again, what a score by, by mm. Goblin um, first time he worked with them and it was partly written by somebody else partly written by Goblin but all performed by Goblin and wow I mean proper full on prog rock overkill this one you know we've got weird time signatures and you know sort of odd noises and all the rest of it really 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 great score and yeah I'm Dario Argento the man's insane I mean at one point in this film for absolutely no reason whatsoever a, a, a small you know, four foot tall robot doll wanders into the room and hacks someone to death i mean you know what who what i mean 
don't don't think about it. When you're watching an Argento film, don't think about it. I mean, it's, it's taking place in a parallel universe where logic doesn't matter. It doesn't work anymore. You just go with it. You just have to buy into the fact that weird shit's going to happen and it's going to really freak mm. you out. And that's what I love about his films. You know, it's, it's just... I, I, I could go on. I could do a whole podcast about Deep Red. It's such a glorious film. But if you're going to watch one Argento film... Go watch that one first before even Suspiria. Or maybe not. Go watch Suspiria, then Tenebrae, then Deep Red. Because if you watch Deep Red, it's all downhill from there. Mm. It's, it's very okay, small yes. steps I... downhill because, you know, those first two films are all <laughs> magnificent. But, yes, save Deep Red till later because that one, you build up to the best. Okie dokie. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, Suspiria is the one I have seen. It's just I haven't seen Tenebrae or, or, or sure. Deep Red um, sure. or anything else. Suspiria is the only one I have actually seen. So. Cool. And that's very different but to no, w- Deep Red. I mean, Deep Red is much more in his sort of giallo mode, mm. but it has got the first inklings of the supernatural. There's lots of foreshadowing in it where things happen and then later on they kind of pay off in a different mm. way. Difficult to okay. describe without seeing it, but it's more yeah, in yeah. his giallo mode than it is in his supernatural mode. But it's you know, fantastic. Still give it a go. It's marvelous. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find a nice box set of them. I wonder cool. if Arrow maybe do a really nice. Oh yeah, uh, Arrow have had a lovely, lovely edition of it. So yeah, get get onto them. Get that. Sort that out. Brilliant. Excellent, Kev. We we come to your final disc for your very own spooky shelf. What's your favourite horror film from the last five years? This was the toughest one to answer. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fudge it and not really give an answer, I'm afraid. You're going to have to (laughs) either give me lots of different ones or just, you know, I'll only have 12. The problem is that I haven't seen as many films from the past five years as I would have liked. You know, there have been a few. Host, obviously, is going to go on that list. That's going to be a good one. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I'm since lockdown I've completely lost track of what year we're in most of the time so I couldn't even tell you if we're we're in the five year thing but they're close enough Um, there's a a marvellous film by Jeremiah Kipp called Slap Face which I think you can find on Shudder which I can highly recommend it does deal with trauma which you know a lot of modern horror films do but he does it in a very very different way and there's a kind of a sort of folk horror edge to it there's a young boy befriending what could be a witch in the woods while he's dealing with the death of his parents it's really 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 excellent film jeremiah actually asked me if i'd be interested in reviewing it over you know contact me on facebook and i'm always a little bit suspect about doing things like that because i kind of feel now that they've asked me i've kind of got to be nice about their film but you know i I sort of said okay okay i'll do it and i watched it and i was blown away by it that was in fact you know what i'm Sitting here now, I'm thinking, let's put Slapface on there. But then I look at my notes and I think, well, there's all the films of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. There are the films of Mike Flanagan. There's David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. There's um, Titan, the French film by um, Giulio Ducono. There's um, Prano Bailey Bond's Censor. There's Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. How am I meant to choose one of these films as my favourite in the last (laughs) five years? It's... um, you know, in, in, come back to me in 10 years' time, and I will probably have made a decision on that. You know, I can look back and I can make, you know, decisions on films that I watched 20, 30, 40 years ago. Films mm. that I've watched in the last five years, it would, like you were saying with hosts, we have to sort of give them time to bed in. We have to let them sort of stand the test of time. These films, I think, will stand the test of time. These are the films that I feel sure 
you know whether they're within the five, last five years or not it's close enough it's you know close enough for jazz as we used to say in my old band but um <laughs> it, like, when we tuned up it was always yeah that's close enough for jazz but um and th- this i think these films are going to stand the test of time i think they are going to be the ones we're going to look at in 10 years time and say wow do you remember when Slapface was on shudder do you remember when censor came out do you remember mm-hmm. when in the earth came out during lockdown and all that kind of thing and it's like yeah these will be the ones but ask me to choose one of them it'll be a different answer I was, as I said earlier if you came back next week there'd be different answers this could be a different answer in the next 10 minutes to be honest yeah, I could 100%. say now let's go with slap face I could go with, yeah let's go with the endless yeah let's go with censor and then you come back to me in, uh, in 10 minutes time you'll call me back and I'll say no actually I've got to think about it I really like Possessor so you know, it's kind of difficult at the moment <laughs> to judge that so that's a sort of a fudged answer I'm afraid you'll have to t- take well, any one of those that I've mentioned but you know there's, there's some good stuff like I said earlier I don't want to be that guy who has got old and he's just down on modern horror films I do prefer older films but there are still some remarkable genre films being made and these are among some of the best of them just going back to your your final disc then what I'm going to do is I mentioned I have quite quite a complicated DVD copy house <laughs> Uh, industry going on just in my room just off screen here yeah yeah um, I, I can hear it whirring do... away in the background yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, got, yeah. got to go throw some more coal in it in a minute and you know give the hamsters a bit of food <laughs> just to keep them running around what I've managed to create for you is a disc Kev that whenever you put it in it's not going to tell you which film it's going to ah. show you but it's going to show you any of Benson and Moorhead Flanagan Sensor In the Earth Slapface to 10 which that's a perfect film and please yep. can we have a uk blu-ray release oh, for that long Julia, please yep uh, uh possessor crimes of the future they're all on there Marvelous. you just don't know which of those you you're gonna get how does that i'm say? happy with that yeah i'm happy with that Excellent. i can go back to any one of those films tonight so yeah that's brilliant perfectly done <laughs> fantastic so kevin lines this is your spooky shelf so we start off with the thing from another world followed by the exorcist halloween Ghost Watch, which I'm about to order a copy for myself. Uh, the entire collected Doctor. It, it, yours is definitely the largest shelf I'm going to have to put up here <laughs> because because you've got the entire collected works of Doctor Who. Uh, Exorcist Three is up there with Dark Water. Exorcist Three then makes another appearance, however, with my complicated bit of code, which does make your chair rumble and it suddenly brings up a bunch of strangers just to go ah! at the same Marvelous. time as you do. Go with that. Uh, Full Circle is up there by Richard Longcrane, which is also known as The Haunting of Julia, featuring commentary by Mr. Kevin Lyons. And Jonathan uh, Rigby. Host, and Jonathan Rigby. Let's and, jo- and, sorry, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, and Jonathan Rigby. Of course, of my crime on these things, yes. Uh, host, Suspiria, Deep Red, and your super special recent horror shuffle disc, I'm going to call it. How's I think that? that should keep me going for a few days. I think I'd be quite happy with any of that. That's marvellous. Yeah, yeah. It, you could do. You could have a couple of days just on your uh, just on the shuffle disc. I could. I? Yeah. That's fantastic. I could. For, <laughs> for a man who does does occasionally find himself moaning about modern films, there was an awful lot of them in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I think fantastic. you know. That's, well, I think I could go and watch any one of those films that I've talked about today. I could go now, say goodbye to you, go and put that on, and still, still have a great time with it. I'd be half asleep, but you Absolutely. know, I'd, I'd still be enjoying every <laughs> second of it. 
<laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm very, very pleased that you're, you're, you're happy with your, your spooky shelf. And like I say, I'm going to have to order in some more lumber because just to support the weight of you know your <laughs> Doctor Who box. Just to host as well, 60 years so. of Doctor Who because I'm not leaving any of it out. So, I mean, you know, even, even the lesser stuff has got to go in there. So, <laughs> Absolutely. You're a completionist on it. So. Um, Kevin, where can people find you on the internet? Where can they keep up with your doings? Give, my, your, uh, give your socials doings, a little plug. Um, I have my website, eofftv.com. It's under reconstruction, so if you go there now, it's looking a bit worse for wear with strange messages. Just ignore them, it still works. But there's a nice, shiny, really, I think quite lovely version of it coming up very soon, hopefully very, very soon. Um, you can find me on social media as eofftv or just kevin lyons there's my review site which is eoff tv review go and have a look at that there's a couple of a couple of thousand reviews on there the new stuff goes up every day so um should keep you quiet for a day or two and just come and say hello i don't bite i look scary but i don't bite so. <laughs> amazing kevin this has been such a lovely conversation it's been I've really really it. nice to to get to know you a bit better thank you so much for coming along and building your very own spooky shelf it's been a pleasure thank you for inviting me Well, there you go. That was Kevin Lyons putting up his very own spooky shelf. What an incredible conversation. Kevin just knows everything about horror. Remember to subscribe to the Spooky Shelf podcast wherever you get your pods. Give us a five-star rating where possible. You can find me at Spooky Shelf Podcast on Instagram or at Joe Caro, but that's tricky to spell because it's Belgian. Next week, all being well, we have a couple of incredible guests coming along. And... I can't believe that I managed to speak to these people. It it was it's an incredible conversation. It, I cannot cannot wait to share it with you all. Thank you very much to Cosme and Itchim for creating the incredible photography and artwork for this podcast. And as ever, to Raul Coley and Mike Flanagan, who one day will be coming on to record their very own spooky shelves. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll be back next week with another big old spooky shot have a lovely week and see you next time goodbye